And Flacco was on an unholy roll in that postseason. I think he ended up with 12 touchdown passes, no interceptions. No interceptions. Uh, through yeah. the entire postseason. So when you when you realize you're going hey, to the Trey, Super Bowl, yeah. That's my quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft Teams. Where there's a team, there's a way. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles transform the way they work. After closing their New York City showroom, they started doing virtual visits on Teams, and now people from all over the world can come into their showroom. Learn more at Microsoft.com Teams. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History Season 2. As you know by now, Season 2 is all about one thing, the bling, the Super Bowl ring, only talking to players that have actually held the Lombardi Trophy after the confetti has fallen on the Super Bowl field. And our next guest is quite simply one of the best to ever, ever do it. He had an unbelievable collegiate career at the U before being drafted by the Ravens and went on to be a part of their Super Bowl 47 championship in New Orleans over the San Francisco 49ers. How good was Ed Reed as a player? Bill Belichick, the long-tenured head coach of the New England Patriots, once said Ed Reed would have made it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame on his special teams play alone but he was pretty damn good playing safety as well. So please welcome in to Half Forgotten History, none other than the unbelievable Hall of Fame safety, Ed Reed. Ed, it's good to see you again, my friend. And I was trying to figure out the best way to introduce you. And I guess I could go with the standard thing, you know, college football Hall of Famer, pro football first ballot Hall of Famer, nine-time Pro Bowler, former Defensive Player of the Year, five-time first-team All-Pro, Super Bowl champ. But I decided to go with former Big East Javelin champ and former Jet. You okay with that? Yeah, that's all right. Once a Jet, always a Jet. <laughs> it is funny, though, because I once had a conversation with Santana Moss, and he was telling me about all you guys that were on the U football team team that also did track in your spare time and you guys would just yeah. sort of show up at the meet sometimes not necessarily fully prepared or hydrated and you would go in there and just kick everybody's <laughs> ass for all these guys that their whole thing the entire year was to do track and you were like yeah all right I guess I'll do it once football season's over yeah a lot of us um, did track in high school and um, Santana actually came in on a track scholarship and Curtis Johnson um, who we call CJ was the receiver coach. He recruited a lot of us. And um, because Santana was on track, he was like, you guys need to go and not only run track to get yourselves better, but support your teammate. And um, he knew all of us ran track. So we all running track, man. It was crazy because we started winning track meets in college. You know, um, we was we was really serious about it. You know, I know we we got we had a lot of jokes about it, but we we actually took it serious. You know, and um, that's why that's why I um, did win the the Big East Javelin. You know, but I did it in high school, and somewhere yeah. in that introduction, you should have said high school Hall of Fame too. Well, you know what? See, I, I have a lot of time because you're in a lot of Hall of Fame. So we'll get to all the <laughs> Hall of Fames, I promise. Uh, as a cheers crazy, to you, Ed. It is Thank a little you, nuts. Man. And the, the first time we actually met in person, not in an interview, was at, of all places, Pebble Beach. Uh, we were there awesome. in December of 2014. I was there for doing something for Lexus, and you were out there just trying to play. And it was in the middle of a monsoon. No, you remember I was, that? was there for the Lexus tournament, too. Oh, you were? That okay. two-man tournament. Remember the yeah, two-man yeah, yeah. Lexus tournament? Me and my financial advisor came out there, and I do remember that storm. Yeah, it was brutal. And where else but you and I met was in the basement bar at the hotel at, at the Lodge of Pebble Beach because yeah, there was nothing was else to do pepper. at that point. <laughs> yeah. 
That was a there great was that, spot, man. That that restaurant is a really nice spot, man. Yeah, it really is. Uh, everything about that place is pretty pretty kosher. There's no question about yeah. it. So, Birdie so, and 18 out of the sand, baby. That's all that matters. Finish strong. Uh, and so we'll get to the finish of your career a little bit later. But you had, I think, one of the most interesting transitions from college to pro because – you know, you, you sort of burst onto the scene as a freshman at the U, went on to win a, a national championship uh, your senior year under Larry Coker. But I think your college career is really defined or remembered, for lack of a better term, for two things. One, that epic halftime speech where you're like, don't ask me if I'm all right, dog. I ain't all right, but I'm going to go yeah. out there and give it all for this game. What was the context of that speech? Because that's one of the most watched YouTube clips of all time. You in the huddle saying, don't ask me if I'm all right. I'm hurt. What was the game and what was the situation? It was a Florida State game my senior year, but it actually came from my Florida State game my freshman year when they were um, shutting us out down there. And they put their ones back in to kick us out of field goal range so we couldn't score. I think the score was like 47 nothing. They beat us. And I was like, man, this is not why I come to this school. The tables will turn eventually. They beat us like four years straight. And, you know, my senior year come around, we got this dominating team. You know, we were really good. And we probably should shut them out, you know. And I get, I was hurt um, a couple of weeks before that, actually. And, um, you know, I get hurt in the game again, and I go in before halftime getting myself treated. They got a picture of me taking my shoulder pads off with the trainer, and right. I, I'm just, you know, screaming or whatnot. And all the team, all my teammates are walking past, like, you all right? You all right? Everybody, the whole team, you all right? You okay? Hey, you all right? And I never said nothing until we was about to go back before half because they had scored on us. They had came right. back a little bit. It's like 20-something to 12. And I was heated, like, dude, y'all, let, we let them score. You know, we, we should be dominating this team. Joaquin said it, and <laughs> we not doing it. You know, so that's what that really came. It came from getting my getting my butt whipped against Florida State early in my career, and I just wanted to return the favor. It, it is funny, though. Like, when you are hurt, the last thing you want to hear is everyone ask you that question, because at some point you're going to snap. Like, just don't ask me that again, right? I I get it. Just oh, don't yeah, ask me that man, question that again. Ridiculous. Yeah, you know, you know, if I'm hurt, I'm not gonna play. I'm not gonna have my shoulder pads yeah. on. You know, I'm not coming back. But you know, it was just caring. I know it was just caring, man. I, I was one of the leaders on the team, and I know those guys were just caring. I was just heated that they let them score. Yeah. And the other thing I think, besides the championship that so many people remember from your playing days at the U, was the interception or fumble that you took away. At Boston College, a defensive <laughs> lineman was is a tip ball, and a D lineman has it like around down by the, the the five yard line. They were going in to score, and you knew that this guy was not going to go as far as you could go. So you literally ran up to him, next to him, and ripped the ball out of his arms and took it back for a touchdown. Try, <laughs> I remember that play like it was yesterday, man. It was in Boston College. It's always tough up there. It's really cold. The score is like twelve to nine. They about to score. I look over to Mike Rump at the right corner, and I'm like, Mike, get inside. Here come the slant. And he um, looks back at me and points back to the half like, you got to get there. He jumps the slant and hit his knee. It bounced to Matt Walters. Matt Walters looked like he's trying to run to the sideline and run to the end zone. 
So my quick instinct took over and I run to Matt and I'm yelling his name. That's how I was able to get the ball from Matt. I didn't take it because Matt was 300 pounds, you know, <laughs> lifting a lot of weight then, man. He had to hear my voice to give me that ball because he knew the situation and what Boston College had, you know, what was going on there. So when I when I grabbed the ball, he just let it go, man. And, and, and it was off to the races from there. You almost stumbled right out of the gate. You almost looked like you were going down, but then once you got going, there was no chance you weren't taking it to the house. And, and that... Yeah, I can't yeah. believe I didn't fall right yeah. there. That U-team is legendary in college football. I think a lot of people look at the roster and, and the players that were on that team and, and think it was maybe the greatest team in the history of college football. Now, we're coming off uh, a year removed from a, a LSU team that did amazing things. And they put so many records up and beat more top 10 teams and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, but the rules change. Yeah, yeah ex exactly. Football is different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do you look at that, that 01 national championship team at the U? Man, I believe we, we definitely up there with, with some of the great teams. But they had so many great football teams that I watched over the years, even before I played with, with the Florida States, you know, of the world. You know, the, the the USC's, the Alabama's, man. There's so many great teams, you know, and I'm, I'm not a person to, to really compare to, to other teams or to individuals. You know, I like to think that we had our greatness, you know, during that, during a, a great era of football, you know, without all uh, without all these uh, rules that are more lenient, you know, towards, towards offensive guys to create more statistics, to create yeah. more excitement you know, um, in the, in the football world, you know, so we played it when it was, when it was really still football, you know, not saying not to take anything away from LSU could they, they, they had a great, um, run and did some great things, but the, the rules were just different. man. Yeah. Listen, it's, it's pretty clear that everybody wants to see more offense and they're allowing they're legislating the game that way. Uh, some of it for safety reasons, other, but, you know, they want to make sure points are at a premium. Oh, yeah. That's why the P.I. can go from 60, 70 yards, 80 yards, and be marked at the spot. That's that's well, the worst penalty in the world. Well, not only that one, but what they call roughing the passer in the NFL these days, I'm like, yeah, you breathed on the quarterback. But that's a whole yeah, – we can do an hour on that one alone. So let's, let's put that one aside for a second. You finish up a stellar career at the U, and then you – or drafted by the Ravens, who at that time are the defending Super Bowl champs. So no pressure, Ed. They basically say, hey, just go replace Rod Woodson. I mean, I, I didn't care. I, I didn't care where I got drafted at um, at all. Honestly, I didn't want to go to Baltimore because I visited Baltimore before the draft. Um, and that was just the, the organization. Yeah. You know, I didn't I didn't really like how business was ran during my my, my trip there. But what did um, you I like really didn't it? care where I played football. I mean, it's just operations, man. Like, I had to wait for my car, yeah. you know. Like, I'm standing yeah. outside waiting for my car and stuff. And 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 it showed when I got there, like, they were different, you know. I, I showed up with my hair out and everything, and they were, they were just like, can you braid your hair? Can you put on these clothes? Like, just, you know, trying to, trying to make me something, you know, uh, more of a businessman, I would think, at that time, you know. Um, but, you know. Let me be me, you know, yeah. and um, but the opportunity, I didn't care. I didn't care where I played. You know, it really didn't matter to me um, where I got drafted. 
you know, I feel like I play football on the moon, but but I'm also grateful and thankful for where I was drafted because my career, I don't think it would have been different, but I would have never met the people that I met. You know, yeah. um, there's a lot of people in that organization, including the owners, um, Steve and the um, Modell family. Man, it, it, I'm so grateful to to have been through that. In that city, man, I have so many connections with, with the community and I'm doing so much work in the community that it was the right place, you know, that God put me in, you know? So, yeah. and, and that's what I was yeah. looking for. I, I prayed on that, that, that God would put me where I should be, you know, in the draft, you know, it didn't really matter. It's interesting because you, you look at the Ravens of that era now and they're defined by you and Ray and T Sizzle and all those guys on that defense being very much individuals and not any sort of corporate entity. So it's pretty clear at some point the organization realized, hey, let these guys be these guys and we'll be the best version of this team. Of course. Of course. That's that's exactly, you know, what you have to do. Um, that's that's no different than how it was in college. You know, I learned that business in college that, you know, eventually the players have to take over the locker room. The players have to be the, the, the rightful owners, should I say, of the team. You know, that's the only way you get um, championships. You know, you allow your leaders to lead, you know, because they're amongst each other. And um, you saw when we left that that changed, you yeah. know, because you didn't have you didn't have guys like myself and Ray and, 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 and the Peter Bowers and the Derek Masons of the world in your locker room. Uh, no question. Um, you burst onto the scene your rookie year, and you know you you left the NFL as the all-time leader in most return yards, interception return yards, and you know you obviously have some of the longest returns in NFL history and some of the craziest ones. Is there one of those returns that you that you like better than any of the other ones? Because I think obviously the one on Monday night in that one game comes to mind. But is there is there one that stands out to you more than any other? Man, so many. The um tough tough problem to have. <laughs> the one I had against the Jets was 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 a was a nice return because you know you can see right before the play, Ray is telling me to go down in the end zone as soon as I caught it. Um they had Billick yeah. mic'd up telling me to go down. Um they had Herm Edwards on the other sideline telling Lamont Jordan not to throw the ball. Um so it's fun to watch that <laughs> one. It's really fun to watch that one. Yeah. The one I had against Chad Pennington in in Dolphins Stadium was was an epic one. Um, I caught it like running like this. It reminded me of when I was a kid because the ball was coming from behind me and I caught it over my shoulder and like just circled the whole field and came all the way back to the other side. Man, it, it that that reminded me of of back when I grew up in Shrewsbury playing on the playground. And when I got this scar um, running into a mailbox, caught the ball the same way. <laughs> as soon as I caught the ball, I ran into a mailbox. Um, my first concussion that I ever had, man, knocked me out. You know, it's interesting. I was watching when the NFL 100 series was being done and they broke down an interception that you had against Peyton Manning and uh, Bill Belichick, of all people, thought it might have been the greatest play of your career. It was in Baltimore. He was trying to throw the deep ball. And you studied something. And I remember you saying, hey, when I see him pump to the left, 
I know he's still throwing to the left side, even though the formation, it looked like they were going to throw to the other side. So you broke to the right side, but saw him pump fake and then went back and picked that ball off. Shout out to Bill Belichick. He said it might have been the greatest play he ever seen. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and, and quite frankly, it started like I'm in the basement now. I was watching I was watching film in the basement with Brad Swartz, Brad Davis, and, and Glenn Eunice, my financial advisor and director of my um, my my charity. And I remember standing in front of the TV. Like I used to be rewinding the tape. They used to be looking at me like this guy is a madman. I'm rewinding the tape in the basement as I'm standing in front of it to get the exact movement that I want to do, you know, to show him, to show Peyton that I'm going to the middle of the field, but I'm really not. And as I'm doing that, I I really came up with a different technique to play safety. And only I can teach it, you know, coach, (laughs) coach Harbaugh was like, what are you doing? He, He didn't really like it, you know, as much, but he let me do my thing. Shout out to Coach Harbaugh. But um, so I see Peyton, he pumps, and actually Reggie is the receiver at the time. He pumps to the left, and he he gives the illusion, the illusion that he's coming back towards the middle to look at the state. You know, the, the quarterback always looked back at the safety. Right. You know, so I said, when he pumps that way, I'm going to already be open and look like I'm going to the middle but I'm not going to go inside that hash mark. And soon as I do it, I'm just going to whip back around. Like I'm telling myself this walking through it before it, it actually even happened, you know, and um, for it to happen that way, man, you know, it was, I was there, I was there well before the receiver was Reggie was there and it was like a punt, you know, Reggie went to tackle me. Right at that point, it was like a flyer. He turned like into a Reggie flyer. could tackle you. Come on, he could, man, but he didn't that time. You know, Reggie played a little defense growing up, man. You, you guys were roommates, right? You guys were roommates at the U. Yeah, yeah, man. Hall of Fame roommates, no doubt. You know, we we held each other accountable. I owe, I owe a lot of my career to Reg. You know, because he just he he held me accountable as a brother, a friend, you know, a teammate, you know, everything, man. Well, and it's interesting. Not only did Bill say that was the greatest play he thought he ever heard, uh, saw, Bill also said that you would have gone into the Pro Football Hall of Fame just on your special teams play alone. How much pride did you take on being on special teams? Because a lot of guys that are starters have no interest yeah. in being on special teams. You not only had the interest, you were what we call a willing participant. What did it mean to you yeah. to be able to be on special teams and make plays? Oh, man, it meant the world. Um, for one, it showed, it showed my teammates that, you know, it was a starting position, you know, like it's a play within the game. It's an offensive or a defensive play within the game, you know, so it's no different than the first and second down on offensive defense. And I mean, I played special teams when I was a kid, I used to return punts and kicks and stuff like that. You know, I just, like you said in the beginning about me playing track and baseball and basketball, I was an athlete. So I just wanted I just love playing sports. I just love being on the field. And any opportunity that I could get to be on the field, that's all I wanted. You know, that's why it didn't matter where I got drafted. All I wanted was the opportunity. And when I got to Miami, Don Solinger was our special teams coach. And he used to give us the Wolf Pack speech and everything. The strength of the Wolf is the pack. 
strength of the pack is the wolf. And, you know, we took pride in that, man. You know, like I, I wanted to return punch so bad, but we had Santana Moss who ran a four, two, mm-hmm. I run a four, 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 five, you know, Santana's fast. Okay. I get it. Let him return punch. So I got better moves. Um, <laughs> but I used to tell Santana, bro, they're going to kick this ball fast to you. You're going to have time. Yeah. I promise you, you're going to have time because I'm going to rush the punter as fast as I could. I'm trying to block it, but I also want them to get him the ball where the the um, rush, I mean, um, coverage haven't gotten down there. So it was it was all working together. Like, I knew this stuff in college. Like, it all works together, you know. So, but you had so many unsung heroes on special teams. And for them to look over to you and see you over there, especially in the pros, too. Like, man, if Ed can do it, I can do it. You know, and that, that right. that's the formula for a winning championship. You know, if your leaders can do it, why you can't? You can't. You can do it. You're not going to get a complaint from your unsung heroes, you know, who just come to work, your construction workers, as I say, when they see, you know, the boss come down and and, and, and work, you know, in, 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 with the regular folk, you know, as they would say. You know, when when the, when the boss could come down off his high horse, as they say, and, and 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 show the people that he could do it, man, I think that speaks volumes to to those who 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 don't feel appreciated as much. Well, it, it certainly speaks to building a championship team. And speaking of championships, this season of Half Forgotten History is all about the guys with rings. So why don't we take a break, uh, refresh our cigars or our beverages, and when we come back, we'll talk about. Maybe one of the oddest Super Bowls I can ever remember covering. Uh, what happened in Super Bowl 47? We'll be right back with more of Ed Reed. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles reinvent the way they work. When the pandemic hit, the bike shop had to close their New York City showroom. Now they found a way to reopen by doing virtual visits on Teams. And now the team can meet with two or three times the number of customers they could before, and people from all over the world can visit their showroom. Learn more about their story and others at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Back with more of this episode of Half Forgotten History with Ed Reed. So you got there right before the Ravens' first Super Bowl championship. And then it's late in your career, Super Bowl 47, you finally get back there. And you're going back to your hometown because you're from St. Charles Parish, Louisiana, and the game's going to be at the Superdome. And you guys were a wild card that year, and people forget that. You guys were, in fact, you guys were the last team under the current playoff format to make it to the Super Bowl without a bye week. It's been pretty clear how important that bye week has become. So you you started that run uh, with the game at home against Andrew Luck and the Ravens. You took care, I mean, the, the Colts, rather. You took care of them pretty quickly. Then you go to the divisional round, and that's the game in Denver with Peyton Manning's first real season as the Broncos quarterback, and you guys are down late. And somehow, someway, as a safety, this had to drive you crazy, although it must have made you laugh. Late in the game, not only did they give up the deep ball, they also gave up the boundary. And Jacoby yeah. Jones goes down the, down the field to tie it. What were you thinking as that play was unfolding? Uh, that was a sick play. Um, yeah. Couldn't believe he the safety misjudged. I think there was Moore, Raheem Moore, who um, misjudged the ball. Yep. You know, and um, I mean, we saw it happen against the Saints with Minnesota too a couple of years ago. But exactly for him right. to misjudge that man, but Flacco, Flacco threw that ball so far, so high, dude. And for Jacoby to come down with it, 
you know, it was just, it was those moments in the season, you know, that, that, that like, let you know, like it was all in your favor, you know, like the ball was bouncing you away. You know, you look back at things like that. You knew, you knew, um, you know, you got to get plays like that sometimes, man, to, to get you over that hump. And you remember those plays and that's one of them. I, I, I couldn't believe it, man. I remember jumping up. <laughs> I remember <laughs> like, wow, you know, this is that that's the one that lets you know, like you're, you're unstoppable almost. But you still had to go to New England. Yeah, I mean, like, that's one of those playoffs where you're watching and I'm like, did that really happen? Did I just, I think it was like 37 seconds left in the game and you guys were still on your side of the 40 uh, yeah, when, when, when that play happened. You go on to win in overtime, then you go to New England and you, you take on the Patriots in the AFC Championship game and you guys always, you guys always gave the Patriots trouble in the postseason and one of the few teams that has given them trouble in the postseason in their place. What was your mindset going into that AFC Championship game? We got an offense today. They not winning. Yeah. <laughs> we got a better <laughs> offense. You know, um, we played those guys so many times without a without a, a, a offense that can that can really fight with them. You know, um, we needed a full team going into that war. You know, what I'm saying like we had specialty, we had defense, we had an okay offense, but we had Anquan Bolden this time. Yep. You know, and we had Jacoby. We had some guys that, that were dogs on offense and. You know, it was close, but it really wasn't that close um, of a game. Um, we knew we was winning that game. I knew we was winning that game a year before we got there. Like, I knew we wasn't going to lose that game. When we lost in 2012 AFC Championship game, um, I I vowed, like, to come back here and win. Like, as soon as that game was over, I sung Teddy Pendergraft, love TKO. I tell the story so many times. Because I couldn't, I couldn't be mad. I couldn't cry um, after that game, you know. So I knew we wasn't winning. I knew we wasn't losing that game. It wasn't happening, yeah. you know. And and we came out on top, man, using the same game plan we did against Denver the week before. And Flacco was on an unholy roll in that postseason. I think he ended up with 12 touchdown passes, no interceptions. No interceptions uh, through yeah. the entire postseason. So when you when you realize you're going Great to the trade. Super Bowl, yeah. That's my quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> no, no sunglasses and no fake tears. So that's, that, that's my good. Yeah. <laughs> so when it when it dawned on you that we're going to the Super Bowl and I'm going back to essentially my home area, my hometown. What yeah. did, what did that when when that sunk in? What did that mean to you? It sunk in. I was on a knee. I think Rachel Nichols around me, a couple other people. Uh, want to interview me on the field and I was on the knee thanking God and the first person came to my mind was my parents and I ran into the locker room tears of joy and I called my mom and let her know because she answered the phone I was like we coming home baby we coming <laughs> home you know and you know I knew we wasn't losing that game either man like uh, we don't lose bowl games I don't lose bowl <laughs> I don't, the U mentality lose. on the Ravens. I love it. Don't lose bowl games, yeah. man. So you know, I, I I knew we were going home, man. Um, mm -hmm. And for for it to come to fruition, after you know having having lost the year before and and having the thoughts of getting there, knowing that, man, it was such a joy. Like I cried for the AFC Championship game. I didn't cry. Um, for the Super Bowl, you know, I just I just soaked it all in, 
Like I knew, I knew we were winning this game, man. And you were, I think you were up 28 to six in the third quarter when the weirdest thing I can ever remember happening happened. The lights went out at the Superdome. Apparently a transformer blew. And of course this is post 9-11 and everyone is like, legitimately freaking out. I was at that game and I brought my son and his friends as a high school graduation present. So I had them tickets down on like the 40. I, of all places, was sitting in the Detroit Lions box because, you know, the Lions have extra Super Bowl tickets every year because they haven't been. Side issue. Funny, man. They'll get there eventually. (laughs) So my first thing is I'm freaking out trying to text my son like, I don't know what's happening. Are you okay? So I'm doing that. What was it like when you saw the lights go out and what went through your mind? I thought they were going to come on quick um, because they had the lights on in the corners. You know, I was just trying to stay focused, tell the team to stay focused. You know, we we actually were trying to get the crowd hype, you know, still uh, right when it happened. And then you realize it's taking a little minute. So we just stretching and stuff, just just really trying to stay synced in, stay focused. I wish I'd have went in, in in the locker room and got some treatment because I had I had a first degree and a second degree MCL sprain on my knees. So I was just trying to stay focused, man, to keep my teammates focused and um, to be to be ready to go back and win this game. Because we, I was like, you know, we still got football to play, yeah. you know. And then <laughs> then you start to hear people say, you know because of the halftime show and all this stuff. like, man, who cares? You know, stay focused. We got a game to play. Well, it certainly changed the way the game was going. I think San Francisco then scored, what, 17 consecutive points. And what looked like it was going to be a blowout actually came down to that goal line stand uh, on, you know, they Colin Kaepernick got those guys inside the five-yard line or right around the five-yard line. And it yeah. took four straight plays, and you guys finally shut them down. What was going through your mindset when they got a first and goal and you realized, holy hell, a, a touchdown here, and this thing could slip away from us? Yeah. First off, Trey, you you grew up in the era where mom and dad, or one of them, when it's cold outside, had to go and start the car up and let it warm up a little bit. <laughs> you know, um, yep. when the lights went off, you know, we, we were an older team than San Fran. We were much older. Correct. So when when this 78 had got cut off and tried to get back going, it took a little bit longer. And some guys were older than me, you know. So that's 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 what happened with that. Um, on that goal line stance, I remember so clearly because coach called zero blitz. And I hated zero blitzes because there was no safety to help on the slant routes to the, to the corners, you know? So as I'm walking across in the back of the end zone towards, towards my left, the right side of the defense, I'm looking at Kaepernick to see who he's looking at, who he's talking to, who he's communicating with to throw the ball to him. And sure enough, he was looking at Crabtree who was to my left. And as I'm going around, I'm acting like I'm going to come to blitz. And when he snaps it, I ran towards ran towards Crabtree, and if he have threw that ball anywhere behind him, I would have had that interception. You know, running out there, the corner had great coverage. You know, he missed it, man, off the fingertips. It was it was just awesome. It was an awesome feeling. So, so then they take the safety to make it a three-point game, and you guys eventually have to punt it. And after the game, uh, the, the NFL Films crew came out, and there was that soundbite of Flacco on the sideline saying, hey, 
if he busts this coverage and looks like he's going to score, I'm going to jump off the sidelines and tackle him to make sure he tackle doesn't him. go in. Yeah. 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 Did, did you hear him say that on the sideline at the time? No, no, I, I didn't hear him say it, but I, but I know, I know Flacco. Flacco was that type of guy, man. He like, you know, he, he was a competitor. He wanted to win, you know, and I could picture him saying something crazy like that. Flacco's a funny dude, you know, but no, I wasn't there. Yeah, it was just nuts. And I, I always wonder what would have happened. Like, I don't know what, literally, can you imagine the spot that would have put the NFL in? Cause it's a penalty. And then what do you do? And, it would have been right. nuts, man. It just it would have been the would've, cherry on the Sunday on the weirdest Super Bowl Sunday of all time. Which that was a coach that was Coach Tomlin um doing it to Jacoby on the sideline when yeah. he saw him returning yes. the kick. He act like he didn't see him. You watch, watching him, clearly watching, watching him on the screen drive. the entire time. He's, he's watching the jumbo drive. Clearly watching it. This shit was too uh, funny. <laughs> oh, it was too good. That just that, those little plays sum up the, the rivalry between the Steelers and the Ravens. Um, but you, you win the championship in your hometown. You talked about you know crying when you knew you were getting there, but it was more a sense of you, you just did it when the Super Bowl was over. Oh yeah, no doubt. It was, it was such enjoyment. Once we won the Super Bowl, man, like I said, I knew it. You know, even even when they started to come back, you know, I was telling my teammates like on the side, I don't care how many points they score. So long as they don't score more than us, yeah. we're gonna win this game. You know, and uh, once the game was over, man, it was like heaven. I mean, dream come true. I'm from New Orleans. I, I grew up five minutes in Metairie, Louisiana. Born at Charity Hospital, which was two seconds away from the Superdome. The Baltimore Ravens was the last team to play in the Superdome. Then then Katrina hit during the preseason. We was the first team to play in the Superdome for the Super Bowl after Katrina. It was a storybook, storybook um, ending, you know, to my career in Baltimore, you know, and how I got there, the roads that was traveled. You know, the ups and downs, the bumps and bruises. You know, when I woke up that morning at the Super Bowl, I saw a steamboat going going across the Mississippi River, you know, where I lost my brother. And I'm looking at this steamboat and I can feel it in my spirit that this is our day. This is our game. And the, the steamboat is decked out in purple. You know, wow. um, which is which is crazy. You know, it's even more crazy that I'm talking to you and it's my brother's anniversary tomorrow, you know, of his passing, you know. So yeah, man, I I just knew it in my spirit, like it wasn't happening. Plus I ate oysters the whole week, so somebody had to pay for that. <laughs> Well, someone did. Uh, I can promise you that. So, if that was the, the if that was the storybook ending to your Ravens career, the storybook ending to your football career was going into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. And you know, having covered so many Hall of Fames, there are certain things you remember about a lot of speeches. And th- this guy did this right. The only thing I'll ever remember about your speech, which was great, was the hat you wore. Uh, on your enshrinement. Yeah. That is by far the greatest Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrinement hat of all time. Yeah, no doubt. Dapper Renaissance out of California um, does some really dope work. And uh, my sister, um, Joe Smith's wife, Tisha, she she found that hat for me. Um, you know, I was telling her I wanted to wear something to match my gold jacket. 
and she was like, I found the hat, perfect hat for you. She didn't show it to me until the day before um, the Hall of Fame, which was awesome, you know? So yeah, man, that's that. And I took my hair out on the stage, which was crazy. If you, if you didn't like it, what would you say? I had trust in her. And plus I had, a, I had another hat just in case. <laughs> there, there it is. There's the real story. I had just enough trust to make sure I had a backup. Now, now oh, we're getting course. somewhere. She told me, she told me to bring another hat. So it was, it was yeah. cool. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's interesting that you use the word trust because that is certainly something that every teammate you played with and played for had a bunch of trust in you knowing that if you were the last line of defense, things are going to go pretty well with Ed Reed back there. Uh, and things are continuing to go well for you. Uh, you mentioned this earlier, uh, so we want to make sure we talk about it. Tell me a little bit about your foundation and what you're doing with it. Uh, my charity foundation started in Baltimore um, 2002, and uh, we're still up and running. Um, we work with Booker T. Washington uh, Middle School and the Seed School in Baltimore. Um, we actually do a lot of work um, throughout the city of Baltimore, feeding families, put lockers on, put locks on lockers, um, fitness days, which people call football camps, but it's fitness days. Um, man, we do, we do so much. We got a bunch of partners with, with, with um, restaurants, local oyster being one of them, um, Jimmy Seafood, another, um, a bunch of companies down there that 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 really aided us to aid the um, the city of Baltimore during this pandemic. We fed over twenty to thirty thousand people um, throughout the throughout the pandemic weekly. Um, with so much, man, that we're doing, we're building a park in my old neighborhood right now. You know, so the foundation has grown. There's so much and so much um, more I want to do. Um, in Baltimore because it's needed, you know. So it's 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 just been a great part of me because that's how I grew up. I grew up helping kids. I grew up um, getting help from mentors and and, and the elderly um, people. It's it's more of me giving back to my mentors. You know, paying it forward for my mentors who 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 um who helped me. The John John Hall and and, and Mr. Parquet you know, who, who really grabbed me and said, you can do this. Well, you, you certainly could. And you're right. No one gets there alone. And, and you gave so much to the game. It's nice to see you giving so much back in retirement. Man, Ed, it's always good to catch up with you. And to use that word again, trust. I trust that you and I will get back on the golf course, hopefully at Pebble real soon in a post-COVID environment. So cheers so to you, you, my friend. You let me know, man. You let me know when you're ready to play something, when you want to tee it up, man. That, that'd be awesome. That, I think I can trust on happening. So, uh, Ed, thanks for being with us, man. Always good to catch up with you. Uh, be safe, be well. You too, brother. So, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ed Reed, and thanks to Ed for giving us his time, as he always does, smokes that cigar. Uh, coming up on our next episode of Half Forgotten History, a man who is arguably in the most exclusive club in Super Bowl winning history, winning back-to-back -back Super Bowls, albeit with different teams. Former first-round pick of the Rams who found glory with both the Patriots and the Eagles, Chris Long. We'll see you next time on Half Forgotten History. Mm -hmm.